Now today I'm going to start what will become, I think, a four-part series on the book of Habakkuk. And it's entitled, What on Earth is God Doing? And that was a question, as we shall see, that perplexed Habakkuk. When he looked around and he thought, things aren't working out as I thought they would. Things aren't working out as I thought they should. God, what are you playing at? What are you, what are you doing? And he was as honest as that with God. One of the reasons I'm going into the Old Testament is for the same reason that Gabriel mentioned why we do Old Testament studies in the middle of the week. The Old Testament is the majority of your Bible. You really can't understand the New Testament without a grasp of the Old Testament. And it's very easy for us as believers and preachers to go to good old favorite passages and even pick out from the Old Testament some of the great glorious times, the parting of the Red Sea, Moses and, uh, and Joshua and, and David slaying Goliath and all these popular stories. But I'm looking now into what is categorized as the minor prophets. The minor prophets, there are 12 prophets in the Old Testament that are called minor prophets. Not minor because they are insignificant, but minor because their prophecies were relatively short. We're going to look at Habakkuk, one of these, uh, one of these prophets. And, and one of the things that we discover when we dip into the Word of God, Old Testament or New Testament, is how relevant God's message is. Every one of the prophets, the minor prophets, it's as if they were writing in response to today's newspaper. The same principles of global affairs, the pushing and shoving of global superpowers, the rise of one superpower, the fall of another superpower, and the rising again of another superpower. And in the middle of it seems the people of God are being crushed by the ebbs and flows of superpower geopolitics and then right down to social structures and experiences at a local level in our own nations and localities and communities, we find so many parallels between Old Testament prophecy and what is happening in our nations today. And we shall see that Habakkuk is no exception. Now, he has three chapters, and they are fairly short. And, and one thing you can be sure now is, uh, as I read through the whole of chapter one, is that you're going to have an inspired part of the sermon, which is reading out the word of God. I'm going to read chapter one, right the way through to chapter two, verse one of Habakkuk from the New Living Translation. I like the language. It is lively. It is interpretative. And in some places, it's almost preachy. So you're going to get something just by listening attentively to the reading of the word of God. Habakkuk chapter 1. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you, you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. The Lord replied, look around the nations. Look, 
and be amazed. For I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away like eagles. They swoop down to devour their prey. On they come all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile ramps of earth against their walls and capture them. They sweep past like the wind and are gone. But they are deeply guilty for their own strength is their God. Oh Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out? Oh Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins, but you are pure. You cannot stand sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Are we only fish to be caught and killed? Are we only sea creatures that have no leader? Must we be strung up on their hooks and caught in their nets while they rejoice and celebrate? Then they all worship their nets and burn incense in front of them. These nets are the gods who have made us rich, they will claim. Will you, not let, them, will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquests? I'll climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Have you ever had a complaint against God? Be honest now. Have you never said, God, how long is this going to go on for? How long do I have to put up with this? And if it's your husband or wife, God says, forever, at least till you die. <laughs> or another thing is, Lord, why? Why do you let your Lord in this office? I've sought you, I've prayed, I've worked hard, I've tried to impress the boss, and there are 15 godless people and one righteous person, and I'm the righteous person, and who gets promoted? The worst, the godliest person in the office, Lord, it's not fair. Why? What are you playing at? What on earth are you doing? If you've never spoken to God like that, it's because you haven't learned to be honest in your praying. In the last series, I did three messages on the Lord's Prayer from the perspective of relational prayer, not always about asking God for things, but praying and seeking his face that we might grow in relationship. Now this, incidentally, coincidentally, is another series on prayer in a way, and it teaches us about interrogatory prayer. Not just intercessory prayer, but interrogatory prayer. In other words, asking God questions. 
Habakkuk is an unusual prophet because we don't hear a word from Habakkuk directly to people. It is a discourse, a kind of conversation he's holding with God. So we listen in on this conversation. And what a healthy conversation it is. That's why I'm asking or, or talking, calling my, my message today, waiting for God, not just waiting on God, but waiting for God, asking questions, trying to discover what God is up to, what on earth is God doing, and, and coming to God honestly and saying, God, how long and why? These are good questions, and it's important to be honest with God, but be prepared, because when he answers you, you may not like the answer. I, for one, want to ask God questions, and actually frequently do. Not just about my own life, but what I see happening in the world. I can't understand what God is up to when we see a false religion like Islam taking over our country. And I'm not speaking like this against immigration or against other religions, that kind of stuff. I'm talking about a religion which has been designed to oppose and destroy Christianity and has a hatred for Jews as a religion. I don't understand why God will allow that religion to prosper. Hello? I don't understand why in our nation that godless philosophies, that manipulative brokers of power and that false ideas are flourishing while Christian ideas are being squeezed out. Now, of course, this last week we've had a remarkable victory for biblical values in our nation. And it seems that the law is going to continue to uphold the sanctity of life and the move towards assisted suicide and euthanasia has for a time being being halted. But the law is still, in many ways, working against some common Christian values. How interesting it is that uh, Habakkuk points out in verse 4, he says, The law has become paralyzed. There is no justice in the courts. Why? Because the wicked far outnumber the righteous. The voice of the righteous is being swallowed up and engulfed by the wicked that outnumber them. We are in a small minority. When we think about what's happening in the law, we have a lawyer's fellowship, or the giant of law. We have law, law, lawyers here and one of our own leading lawyers who is uh, on the church board, Solomon, has just won another award. I forget, what it's almost like an Oscar for the, for the legal profession. And we know that law is very important. We should be passionate about law. That's why we pray about law. That's why we ask God to intervene in politics where laws are being made. The laws of our nation, the laws of our land were founded on two principles. First of all, that humanity is not basically good. We need law to correct our behavior. That's a Christian view that we are fallen human beings and we need correction. Secondly, on the justice of God himself, that God will hold us to account for everything that we've done and our society should be built on principles of justice, equality and fairness. But it was exactly these principles that called, caused Habakkuk to cry out to God. He says, God, I've been crying out to you and you're doing nothing. The laws are getting more and more ineffective. Everywhere we go is violence and destruction and greed. Social structures are falling down and you are doing nothing about it, Lord. And why are you ignoring me? Why, when I cry to you for help, why do you refuse to listen to me? Now, I want you to notice two things about this complaint. First of all, it's honest. Well, that's 
That's, not the, that's the third thing, actually. Before I come to the two things, let's note that it's honest. And it's good to be honest. But two things about this prayer. First of all, there is a sense of righteousness about it. He's not just crying out to God for his own needs. Why haven't you given me a wife? Or why did you give me this one and not a better one? He's not crying out like that. He's crying out for values which are to do with kingdom. But nevertheless, the second thing is, do you notice how self-centered it is? He is confusing God's glory with his own comfort. Can you see that? Seven times in those opening verses, he talks about myself. How, Lord, how long, O oh Lord, must I cry for help? You do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, you don't come to save. Must I see these things? Must I watch this misery? Wherever I look, I, I, I. Seven eyes. And one of the things we're going to see as we trace through in these four messages the transformation that happens inside Habakkuk. A righteous prophet crying out for righteous things but still from a human, somewhat selfish perspective. And at the end of the prophecy, a change has taken place in Habakkuk that God wants to take place in every one of our hearts. But he cries out to God and God doesn't seem to be answering. Are you in that place right now? It might not be that you're saying, God, why did you let this person be elected? Why is that person being promoted? Why is godliness prospering, godlessness prospering? You might be saying, God, why haven't you heard my, 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 my cry? I'm a single person. I've been crying at you for 20 years. And by the way, Lord, tick-tock goes the body clock. When are you going to do something for me? Maybe it's a physical healing you're looking for. Maybe it is a promotion or, or, or some manifestation of God's glory in your life and in your ministry. And you say, God, how long must I put up with this? Now, in Habakkuk's day, it was a very serious prayer. And it came from serious frustration. As we look at the history of this, Old Testament history is fascinating let me sketch it out for you briefly. Uh, we have here at this point in time, around 600 BC, the collapse, the fall of one major imperial superpower. Assyria is collapsing. Assyria had come against the people of God in the northern kingdom. And then in 721 BC, an Assyrian king came against the capital of Israel, which was Samaria, destroyed it, and that was the end. A few years later, 701, what happened was Sennacherib, one of the last kings of Assyria, actually attacked Judah and came to the gates of Jerusalem and threatened to take it away and destroy it. But Hezekiah, the king of Judah at that time, cried out to God, and God heard him and sent the prophet Hezekiah to say, don't worry, Sennacherib will not come. He will not fire an arrow. He's going to have a rumor. He's going to go home, and I'm going to take care of his army. And in one single night, God wiped out through his angel of death 185,000 soldiers. What a mighty deliverance. Praise God for godly Hezekiah. But after Hezekiah went, his son came along, and he was wicked. Manasseh was outrageously wicked and, he, and Ammon also followed. So uh, decades of terrible, terrible degradation and, and finally along comes a good king, one of the last good kings of Judah. His name was Josiah, godly man, godly young man. And he was passionate for God and he wanted revival. 
He wanted reformation. In many ways, Josiah kind of represents the heart of Kensington Temple. We want reformation. We want, we want revival. We, want, we don't want superficiality. We want to see God move in our day and in our hour. And, 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 and Josiah was cleaning up the temple. And he was doing some refurbishment work in the temple. And they discovered the book of the law. And they said, listen, no wonder we're in trouble. The book of the law, we're not obeying God's word. So they started a reformation, reinstituted the Passover, tore down all of the high places of idolatrous worship and called the nation back to God. And so the nation came back to God a little bit, but it was too little, too late. And after the death of Josiah, more wickedness. The next king, Jehoiakim, My, 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 worse than the rest of them. Now, in the middle of all of this, I want you to picture Habakkuk. What we know of Habakkuk, his name means somebody who embraces, uh, but really the the best way, bear hug, that's what he is. I won't demonstrate it because we haven't time for that frivolity, but I could give you a full arm Nelson or, or a bear hug. Uh, it is a wrestling posture, grabbing hold of because you're struggling and you won't let go of your opponent. And this is what his name means, Habakkuk. We know that he was a priest leading worship in the temple. He writes his own worship song at the end and he says, I want it sung on my stringed instruments. And here is the musical setting. It is exuberant praise Shiggy or not, that's what I want. So he is a worship leader, he is a priest, but God called him to be a prophet. And as a priest, worship leader, prophet, he is also an intercessor. And I'm pretty sure that 20 years before he begins to prophesy, he is part of that revival movement. And the revival movement had so much promise. We've seen in Great Britain us come close to revival decade after decade, but the work of God has not been received in any great depth in the heart of God's people who still want comfort and complacency and not prepared to take up the cross and pay the price to see God's glory established. And so it was in that day, and he was disappointed and disillusioned. All the promise of reformation, all the promise of revival had come to nothing and wickedness was, a, was prevailing, godlessness everywhere, old people afraid to leave their houses in the day, let alone in the nighttime, everywhere, violence and destruction and godlessness and exploitation. And he says, God, what are you playing at? He puts it quite a little more spirited in that. How long must I keep on crying and you don't do anything at all, Lord? <laughs> God answered him. He says, actually, I am doing something. You wouldn't believe if somebody told you, so better believe it when I tell you I am doing something. I am raising up the Babylonians who are going to come and destroy this place, who are going to deal with the wickedness of Judah, and we're going to cleanse the sins of my people by the Babylonians. Now, this was a bit of prophetic insight because the Babylonians, in the beginning, had not come to this place of power. The Assyrian Empire lasted 200 years, finished with the last Assyrian king, 626 BC. And after that, there rises a new Babylonian king who revives the old Babylonian Empire into a new Babylonian Empire 10 times worse than the Assyrians. 10 times worse, ruthless, scorched earth policy, wherever they went, destroying even the vegetation and the animals, 
and they had no mercy. They weren't going to stop at anything. Greed, conquering, and they were worshipping many gods. They had their own gods, but the real god they worshipped was their own strength. Wow, isn't that a picture of people in power today? They do it because they have the power to do it. If they have the purchasing power, they do it. It doesn't matter who they hurt, who stands in their way, they do it. So if somebody has military might, whether it's through terrorism or open warfare, they do it. Might is right. And we are seeing geopolitical forces which are based on the ability of superpower, might and strength or individual might and strength. Might is not right in the Bible language. However, might prevails in our day. And God's people, as ever, are caught between the jaws of opposing forces who will crush them as soon as look at them. What on earth are you doing, God? To raise up the Babylonians. Oh, what an extraordinary thing. I mean, this seems like a message from hell, not a message from heaven. Did you record, did you catch it when I read it? Did you catch how ferocious it is? I'm raising up the Babylonians, verse 6. A cruel and violent people. Verse 7, they are notorious for their cruelty. They do whatever they like. Isn't that the spirit of our age? We do whatever we want. There is no God that will control us. We are a law unto ourselves. And if we, if we get in the way, if we push Christians out, if we crush and crumble people under our feet, who cares? But God cares. But if he cares, why is he raising up the Babylonians to deal with God's people? Is it possible today that God is allowing things to come into our society as a means of getting the attention of God's people. Laws have been changed. Centuries of laws, generations of laws concerning the fundamental understanding of marriage, which the Bible view of marriage, the Christian understanding of marriage, is removed now for a secular understanding. The place and prominence given to Islam even me saying this today could get me into trouble. Not allowed to criticize Islam, but I do criticize Islam. Why? Because Islam criticizes Christianity. Islam was founded on major doctrines to oppose Christians, to criticize Christians, and to persecute Christians and make them second-class citizens. And we get the good deal. The pagans are killed. Christians are allowed to become second-class citizens in an Islamic state. Don't think that IS is just all there is to Islam, all there is to the problem. We need to understand that Islam has taken over in a very real way, so powerfully, so swiftly, that I'm wondering whether God himself is not calling our attention by this as a way of calling us back to our first love, to be that vibrant remnant of hope who knows what it means to live by faith and to see God's glory manifested through our lives. People of God, I think Habakkuk is very, very relevant. Let me share with you three reasons why Habakkuk thought it was outrageous that God would use Babylon to punish and to, to purify Judah. Number one, they were foreign. They're foreigners. Now, this isn't a vote against immigration. With, I, I personally thank God for ethnic uh, and cultural diversity in our nation. And wow, how, how could I not look at this place today? This is a witness to the kingdom of God. It transcends color and race, background and so on. However, by foreign, it meant alien to the 
covenant of God made with his people. In other words, these were unbelievers. They had rejected or didn't even care about the God of Israel, made their own gods, and therefore were not part of the covenant of God. How can you use these uncircumcised, unbelieving pagans to reprove us? Habakkuk didn't understand, and frankly, neither do I. Secondly, they were ruthless. They weren't going to show mercy. They destroyed everything, even the livestock. They weren't going to say, you look good, we'll keep you. No, every single person that came in their way, they destroyed. Tragic. And the final reason why Habakkuk thought, what on earth are you doing, Lord, is they were more wicked The Babylonians were even more wicked than Judah, even more wicked than the wicked of Judah. More wicked. How, God, could you use people more wicked than we are to deal with us? Lord, I I don't understand. I don't understand. But Habakkuk learns to wait for the Lord. And I love it, really, because... We, we stop off at chapter 2, verse 1, which is really the intro to next, next week's message. He says, I climb up to my watchtower. I read some Jewish commentaries on this. And we have the picture, would you like to emphasize, this is a watchtower, place of height, where you can commune with God. Some Bible scholars says Habakkuk is challenging God. Okay, if you're going to do this, let me see it. But most scholars would say that he's saying, God, I don't understand, help me see some more. I'm going to talk to you more about this, Lord. I don't understand what you're doing, but I want to understand, and I'm going to seek your face. I'm going to enter the place of prayer. Let me say, if you've got a problem, take it to God. Yes, there are counselors. Yes, there are. There are people you can talk to, but if you've got a complaint, take it to God. Take your complaint to God. Ask him. Talk to him, and he will answer you. He will show you the way that you should go. God is very willing, if we come before him with questions, to bring us into his plan to show us what he's up to. And this is exactly what Habakkuk discovered. And when Habakkuk saw what God was really up to in the earth, he said, then bring it on, Lord. And the climax is, oh God, if when the Babylonians come and destroy everything and do what you've planned that they should do, I'm going to rejoice. Even if there is no food left in the storehouses, no herd in the stalls, no figs growing on the trees, I'm going to rejoice in you because I have seen you, I've seen your plan, and your plan is good and it's glorious for the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And I want a piece of that. That's how Habakkuk learned but in the meantime, Jewish commentaries say like this, say this, he, he, he digs a kind of pit, a kind of circle around him so he can shut himself away with God. Is Amor getting out of the circle until I hear, until I understand? Is that you this morning? You're facing a challenge in your life. Something that you're saying, God, I don't understand. I've cried out to you day and night, maybe for 20 years, as much as this guy, I estimate, was praying this prayer, yet no answer. And then when you talk to God about it, it seems that the answer he's giving is not the answer you want. And you say, God, I don't understand, but you know what? I want to get closer to you. I want to climb my tower of intercession, my tower of personal communion with you. And begin to talk to you, Lord, because I'm obviously not seeing things the way I need to see things. Help me to see from your perspective. And then, of course, from that place, there is a reply that comes from God. 
a vision that explains what God is doing in the earth. A vision that he calls us to live by, to run with, to proclaim and to rejoice in. I'm quite sure that about now Habakkuk is saying, I'm so glad I didn't just complain. I'm glad I talked to the Lord. So I say to you, don't be afraid to ask God the tough questions. How long is this going to go on for, Lord? Is there no light at the end of this tunnel? Or why, Lord? Why are you doing it that way? I don't understand what you're doing. You seem to be ignoring me in the midst of all this. God, help me. Help me understand. When you are that honest with God, be prepared for honesty in return, but don't always expect to find his answers easy or according to your personal preference. Because God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are above our thoughts. And God's plan is the best plan. And when you hook up with God's plan, even if there are painful moments or painful seasons, you know that you are flowing with the God of history who doesn't allow anything to happen in this earth other than that which is in direct working out of his great eternal plan to see his glory manifested amongst his people and to bring us home with him forever and in the meantime we wait we wait for the Lord we wait for the God of our salvation to move and to answer come quickly come quickly Lord in our day hear our cry now my take home message is this wait for the Lord God knows what he's doing I say that over your life. God knows what he's doing. That's the take-home point. Ready, sends it out to all of the cell leaders. Scott managed to get it out last night to you all. And this is what we're looking at in our cell meetings this week. What does it mean when you're struggling and you're waiting for God? He doesn't seem to be active. And you say, well, I don't know. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. So no matter how dark things are for you today, God always has a plan. God knows what he's doing. He has a plan. And when you come to him and ask to see things from his perspective, then you can pray accordingly. Then you will write some worship songs. You know, I really want to see our worship ministry prosper and flourish even more. I spend as much time with the worshipers as possible Thursday evenings and their rehearsals and the new songs they're written. And, and they're such wonderful people, priestly, prophetic, intercessory people. And we're going to see some new songs as we break through into the new revelation of a deeper revelation of God's spirit. For in the times past, when there have been moves of God superficially received, centered around the prominence of certain ministries to promote themselves, to be the ones who are at the head of the others, and other moves of God which have been focused on our pleasure, our enjoyment, and the things and the blessings that we want from God, but have not left a true heart of repentance, crying out for God for the deep move. In, the, in those days, God came close, but in the days that are to come, even through difficult circumstances, and through changes of the law, and changes of government, and institutional changes, and for coldness of heart that will enter many people, God is saying, I'm raising up a people of power, a people of prayer, a people of faith, 
who will carry the cross through difficult times, who will know what it is to celebrate and rejoice, even though it does not look as if things are working out, for God has a plan. And when we move in his wisdom, we shall see as he wants us to see. And finally, remember this, God uses difficult circumstances to shape you and to prepare you for more of him and for more of his glory. I'm so glad we have Habakkuk, honest God, what are you playing at? What are you up to? What on earth are you doing? And when God says what he did back in 600 years BC, he's doing the same thing today for us. Let's give him a praise in Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The singers and musicians are joining me on the platform. We have a song we're going to sing at the end, an intercessory song for revival, for renewal in our own hearts. But before we move to sing that, I want to make an appeal today for every person who's not yet committed their life to Christ. Because if your life is not in Christ, let me tell you in more than one way, you are lost. I say it to you in love. You are lost. You are nothing but a victim of the geopolitical forces, the economic political forces, social forces. You won't know the end from the beginning. You won't know up from down. You are nothing but a victim pushed and shoved by every influence in our society. But if you are rooted and grounded in Christ, then you are a rock and your life will be strong. You are lost because your sins are not forgiven. And if you die without Christ, you die to a lost eternity. But if today you say yes to Jesus, your life can change. Your destiny can change. And you can know what it is to have your sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Lift up our hearts. Everybody standing. Lift up our hearts. Lift up our hands and ask God to come as we worship him right now. Yeah. 
Kingdoms bow down, son of God. 